Hey Shannon, do your students know why short vowels are short? This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hey, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, I'm Mary Sagafi. I'm a reading tutor. I've taught all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training and have been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things teaching, and I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. All right, so this episode is all about short vowels. Everything about short vowels. We'll see how long we're able to talk about short vowels. We're trying to plan a short episode, but it might end up being long just because this is something we've taught many years and we have a lot to say about it. Not only that, it's also quite common. So I bet you didn't know this, Shannon, but did you know that short vowels in words make up 50, maybe in some circles, 60% of the written running language that we use in English? I did not know that. Yep. That's why it's so important to really get a solid foundation in teaching these short vowels. Um, when we talk about syllables, syllables can be called closed syllables if they have one short vowel in them. So we might interchange short vowels and closed syllables, but you should just know that a closed syllable means it contains one short vowel. Mm -hmm. And let's start off with just saying what is a vowel, because when I first started teaching, I didn't know it, and I ended up finding the definition on Dr. Google at some point. I found a linguistics textbook online when I was researching vowels one day to prep for teaching. And what I learned from that book and what I internalized and sort of said it in kid-friendly language was that vowel sounds open your mouth. When you are saying vowel sounds, it's a little bit like an opera singer because you can just hold your mouth open the whole time you're saying those sounds. So like the short vowel, ah. Or if it's the long vowel, a, nothing is closing your mouth because you're opening your mouth to produce those sounds. But then consonant, consonants actually close your mouth when you're producing them. So like mm or t or p. And so that's going to come into play when we start talking about closed syllables and open syllables because the consonants are actually closing in the vowels. Absolutely correct. Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback and say that um, the vowel sounds are the unobstructed way of producing a sound in your mouth, which is exactly right. So that just means that your teeth, your throat, your tongue, they don't impede that sound. So you can carry out that sound for as long as you hold your breath. Um, the other really important part is when you're teaching consonants, there are Plenty of teachers who don't intentionally teach consonants incorrectly, but lots of times they have learned incorrectly to say b instead of b. Right, we're adding huh. sometimes people add the uh sound, and but we don't say b all, we say b 
ball. Ball. Right. And so um, it is really, really important, especially if you have a struggling reader, um, especially someone who has weak phonological awareness skills, that they really need you to pronounce the words uh, and sounds absolutely correctly when you're teaching them. So when you're teaching your phonic sounds, they there are two ways to pronounce the TH sound. There's a voiced V. If you put your fingers on your throat, you can feel the vibration, the V, like the word then. Um, there's an unvoiced TH that is like the word thin, and that's where the breath comes out of your mouth. Um, when I am teaching my students, they tend to already have lots of difficulties with this. So I make it very multisensory. So we are constantly touching our throat. We're trying to figure out what position our tongue is in. We're trying to look in a mirror and kind of see what shape does your mouth make when you make the O sound? What the ah for O? What shape does your mouth make when you have an ah? And they're very large with your mouth and they even kind of mimic the shape and so we we do a lot of time spent in front of a mirror especially early on yes I start with a mirror so when I'm first starting this is my first reading lesson I do at the start of every single year whether I'm teaching a homeroom class or a guided reading group we start off with what are vowels what are consonants and so I have all the letters on index cards and I pull out mirrors and I also sketch out a little emoji face that has an open mouth and a little emoji face that has a closed mouth. And I ask the students to categorize the letters by which ones open your mouth when you say the sounds and which ones close your mouth. And they end up coming up with the vowels all in a stack. And that's when we name them. Those are the vowels because the vowels open your mouth. And then when I start talking about the closed syllable, the short vowels, which is where I go right after that lesson, I talk about how in the word me, the E is open. And so it says its name because it's open and free. Look at me, I'm free. And I could just keep saying the E sound over and over because there's no consonant closing it in. But as soon as I put the T there, it goes m, et. And when I say the T sound, all of a sudden my mouth closes. So that vowel is closed in. It's not free and it's not allowed to say its name. It has to say its short sound. Yeah, that's exactly how I teach it too. Um, I imagine a house and we put we have a, an actual little house that we use and it has a door and we put the vowel and we put a consonant in front and then the vowel is in the middle and if your word is H-I, we say hi and the door is open and we put the consonant on the back of the door and it might be the consonant letter T and so we close that door and it says Huh. and it just barely gets out its is sound before the door closes right on it and the T makes its hard t sound. So your word is it, hit. And we, I love that process because you're making it kinesthetic for the hands-on learners that really need a tactile thing. And so they're opening and closing the door. I love right. that. Well, we know that the best way to teach children is using a multi-sensory phonics-based yes. approach. And so for all of my lesson's and lessons that are directed by Orton Gillingham methodology um, and lots of other different types of reading instruction but 
once again, I'll say it's the gold standard. It, it includes um, a visual, it includes an auditory component, and a tactile and a kinesthetic piece. So all of those components are really key in um, ensuring that the brain is firing all pistons and we are really engaging all of the parts to make sure that um, children are fully engaged. So let's talk about the visuals. Mm -hmm. um, I use five pictures pretty much for the short vowel words all the time just because I even need to use them just to produce the eh sound on command. I have to think about the word egg. So um, over the years I have made little sentence strips and little picture cards and anchor charts and things that have the picture sounds so that students can have help producing those short vowel sounds. So I use a for apple, mm -hmm. eh, egg, i, igloo, a, mm -hmm. octopus, a, umbrella. Sometimes I do a, up. Good. I, um, it, with the methodology that I'm familiar with, we also call them phonogram cards, and the phonogram cards can either have picture support or not have picture support. And early on, we um, ensure that the picture support is there because we want to make sure that when we're doing the drill component, which is another piece in the Orden methodology, is that you're making sure that the student can simultaneously orally spell out all of the sounds. So if you're if you're saying um, that your word is mop, they're going to tap it out either on their arm, tap it out with their fingers, and the m, a, p involves the visual piece of using a phonogram card um, maybe to spell it or they're writing it on the table. Um, the I'm sorry, I just got caught up in my own thoughts. The visual piece, the audio, auditory, the kinesthetic, and the tactile. So all of these things go together. I'm going to piggyback and jump back to what we were originally talking about, which are the phonogram cards that have the visual support. Um, I also use the exact same picture cues that you do for apple, a, um, e, egg, um, and what I find with my students here in Georgia is that we really have a difficult time eh, eh, egg, i, i, igloo, and really making a big difference. And so I actually put my hand in front of my mouth and I stretch out the e sound, eh, eh, eh. I use a vertical finger and do i, i, i. To I do the same thing. I hold a Sharpie sound. marker in front of my mouth and the e has a little horizontal line. Yeah. And so I show them that e has a horizontal line and our mouth is trying to stretch to make an eh, eh, horizontal line, stretching out your smile. And the it is a vertical line with the letter I and I hold the marker up in front of my mouth and show that stretch there. There's a lot of practice that has to be involved in making sure that our students are learning about their short vowels. And so we need to make sure that they are practicing, practicing, practicing short vowels. And what students, if you can get students to really, to build that relationship with students and have them to communicate with you, students will tell me often, those sounds, those sound the same to me. I don't hear the difference. Aren't those the same sound? And you can even see it in their spelling. Even if they don't communicate that to you out loud, you can look in their spelling. If they are struggling with vowels and their vowels are consistently wrong, then you're going to need to go all the way back to short vowels and just make sure that they can hear the differences in all of those vowel sounds. Yep. And we'll talk about that when we talk about activities. But Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what we're sort of building upon right now, too, is that 
a short vowel is always going to have the vowel consonant pattern. It's, it can have up to two um, letters, one vowel, one consonant, like the word at, um, and then it can build upon itself. Um, it could be as long as seven letters long and only contain that one um, short vowel sound and it still makes a closed syllable. So, um, you know, so if you're going to do a progression, it might be the CVC word is, um, and that also is another teacher jargon piece that parents are often confused about. Consonant is C, vowel is vowel, and a lot of teachers, especially in the early grades, will often shorten it and talk to parents about that. So don't don't shy away. If you understand the difference between a consonant and vowel, you can understand this concept fairly easily. So the first CVC pattern, C-A-T, cat, um, it can contain two letters, V-C, I-T, it. Um, and then it can also contain uh, digraphs or blends. So an example of a digraph would be SH. A digraph means that there are two letters that make one short sound. We'll have a whole episode about those later. Absolutely. Um, you could also have a CCVCC, like the word stick, S-T-I-C-K. Um, so moving into short vowels, for me, I like to do this because it builds on spelling rules which is another longer episode mm -hmm. I'm sure we can do. But there are plenty of spelling rules and spelling generalizations that follow the short rule, the short vowel pattern. Um, and one example could be the floss rule. So um, it, a word that contains one short vowel followed by the letters F, L, S, or Z, you're going to double the last letter. So an example would be the word floss, F, L, O, SS. Why do we double the S? The O in the word floss is short and it contains the letter S following it, so you're going to double it. F L O S S. Another example could be the word stiff, S T I F F, mass, M A S S, buzz, B U Z Z, or the word off, O F F. All contain one short vowel followed by F, L, S, or Z, and then you just double the last letter. Another example would be the CK spelling generalization, the CHTCH spelling generalization, DGE rule, 111 doubling rule. All of these are really specific in teaching explicit phonetic instruction. So they all build upon each other. And you don't teach those all at once. You teach those one at a time, sort of, as you're going through the short vowel unit with your students. Absolutely. It takes me about a week at a time, um, sometimes even more, to teach a spelling generalization. When I'm teaching just the short vowel um, sounds and rules, I always allow myself at least six weeks to actually do that. And my tutoring sessions are about 45 minutes two times a week. Um, minimum for students who have a diagnosis of dyslexia. Okay. When I uh, introduce short vowels, either in my whole group um, phonics program or in my small groups, first I just make sure that the students hear the differences in the short vowels. So I don't even pull out letter cards at the beginning, other than that initial sorting between a vowel and a consonant. Yep. Um, I will start with just pictures 
and words their way in the back of the book, they have picture cards with the initial short vowels. So we'll sort by initial short vowels. So they have, you know, astronaut or um, octopus or umbrella and where you hear the vowel sound at the front of the word. And it's a little bit easier for the students to produce the sound and hear the difference okay. and be able to sort them um, when it's at the front. And then we move to pictures where it's a medial short vowel and it's in right. the middle of the words. And so I have these little like houses and I give each student in the reading group a house, and I'll say, you have the ah house, or you have the uh house, or the ah, and then I'll say, I'll show them a picture, and I'll say, does this belong in your house? If it doesn't, then whose house does it belong to? And nice. the students love playing that game. I've probably done it, I don't know, 50 times oh, <laughs> over the years. Oh, I love that. That's yes. really cute. What um, a great way for them to really work together, too, to figure out. Yes, and they're hearing each other's errors, and that's when those conversations happen where the students will say, um, oh, that one sounds the same to me. And we'll talk in a second about troubleshooting, but I've actually made some little anchor charts um, that I'll have displayed or I'll sketch out really fast to sort of really show the students the difference in how your mouth produces a sound and things like that, like you talked about. Yeah. So then after we, after the students can really hear the difference with just, with just pictures, then we start matching the letters to it. And we'll start with word families and we'll spell yep. the word families and just change that first sound. Um, and use letter tiles to build um, the picture that we have already, you know, used yeah. um, in our sort. And that's it takes that takes a few weeks in the reading group where we're doing each of those activities for probably 20 or 30 minutes each time we meet. Yeah. And after that, you know, then I start watching their spelling and I see can they spell them? Can they do the nonsense words? reading those um, so decoding glad. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that the nonsense words in this case are the like easiest fastest way to figure out whether or not your students you know understand. if it's mastered or not mm -hmm. if they can read zodge exactly then they know g exactly and coj z-o-j <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say that is so funny because for me, um, I'm so rule-based oriented that I know that J is never at the end of an English word. Right. And so I, it, it, that is such a funny um, thing for me. The other, I bet you didn't know this either. Maybe you did. You're pretty bright about these kind of things, but exceptions always throw me off. I'm, I'm definitely a rule-based kind of gal. And um, the reason that we spell have and give is that there is no English word that has a V at the end of the English, or the end of their word. So in the word have, it produces a short vowel sound, but we put the E on the end because V never goes at the end of an English word. Okay, and I read in a language textbook that in like Middle English, it used to be have. Yes, it and did. And so that's, it follows the final E rule. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So People in Orton-Gillingham have a tendency to argue about the etymology of words yeah. and whatever their word origins are, and so um, that's true. I was reading and decoding a word with a kid recently that was, the word was unresponsive, and so he spelled the entire thing out, you know, we were doing prefixes and suffixes, and, and when he got to the suffix, he wrote S-I-V, and I went, Nope. <laughs> We're yeah. so close. But there are these little tricky rules that you have to kind of still explicitly teach. So Patricia I mean. Cunningham talks about um, teaching the brain to like looks right as a strategy of mm -hmm. starting to sort of see, look at it in print or look at it with a few different versions mm -hmm. and your eyes will s sort of 
recognize which one looks right because it might have seen it in print before. But I will... I can argue two ways on that. For me, yes, I am a person who has to write it out and see for myself whether it looks right. But if you are um, a person with dyslexia, that tends to be a really tricky thing for you to be able so to So that's part of the disconnect see. in the brain. It's okay. a disconnect. So that's why um, people recommend teaching such rule-based um, analogies with words and, and grouping them into families and, and being really explicit about that instruction. So yes and Perhaps no, so, <laughs> which is an okay teaching with students that have <laughs> learning disabilities or not. Mm-hmm. So we're going to link in the show notes to a number of free activities um, that have the sound pictures and things and have the words. Yeah. One of the resources I love, and I know you do too, is the FCRR. Florida Center for Reading Research. They have done so much of the work for us. Oh my goodness. And so they have a ton of free reading centers that um, can just be downloaded on their site. And sometimes it's a little hard finding the right activities for what school you're teaching. So we're going to link to some of our favorites. Yep. Happy to do that. So let's talk about troubleshooting a little bit because I've worked with a lot of English language learners over the years. And short vowels is one of the hardest things for them is what I've learned. So um, my first school I taught at for 12 years, I worked with Spanish speakers and their main difficulty was with that short E and that short I, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. And so that's when I did the Sharpie on the sideways and vertically and things like that. And then I transferred to my new school five years ago, and there were students from other that spoke other languages, not Spanish, and they didn't have trouble with the short E and the short I. They had a lot of trouble with the short A mm. and the short O and the short U. And so I sort of had to develop different um, techniques for that. And so what I came up with, which you kind of touched on a second ago with the mirrors, but I call them big mouth and small mouth sounds. And so if you look at the A and the O, they look like circles Mm -hmm. when you look at the actual letters. And your mouth is forming as big of a circle as it possibly can when you were saying those sounds. Ah, you're like stretching your mouth to like eat an apple and ah, open your mouth and say ah at the doctor's office. And so when the students will tell me that ah and the ah sound the same, we pull out picture cards. I always pull out my picture cards and we, I will produce those sounds for them. And I will say, look at my mouth, which one am I making? Am I making a big mouth sound or am I making a, uh, which is a short, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a little opening mouth sound. And so um, they will watch me produce the sound or they'll watch me um, and I'll have the letters out and I'll say point to which one I'm saying. Great. And then I'll pull out pictures that have it in the middle of the word. And I'll say, does cat have the big mouth sound or the little mouth sound and so forth. And when they, and then I'll ask them to produce it after they kind of analyze my production of those sounds, then I'll ask them and I'll say, okay, say the sound in this picture. Okay. Which vowel would you use for this picture? Fantastic. That's definitely the best way to work with any struggling student is to make sure that one, you start with picture support and to give them as much tactile things to manipulate and to move around. Um, because not only does it, um, it gives that pause where mm-hmm. you're able to make a mistake without having to go back and erase it. And all of the pencil paper tasks that we ask students to do, and if they get it wrong and the act of just erasing their wrong answer is is a bigger blow than we even imagine, Yeah, I, I think. And so I think that especially for young learners, but 
for any learners, really, making sure that you're giving them lots of chances to try um, and not call themselves out and, and actually mm-hmm. fail at the test loudly or fail at the task loudly, I think that's really important. I can't emphasize enough the importance of picture support and how worried I am that sometimes teachers are getting away from the picture support and because of time crunches in the classroom, they'll move to just get the work sample and really we have to go back and make sure that we're doing good quality teaching. You don't want a poor work sample if you haven't already built the foundation. Yes, I've worked with students in fourth and fifth grade who were just not yet readers, I mean, could not read the most basic sentences. And when I pulled out the picture cards that look like they're from, they look like kindergarten activities because they are from my kindergarten box of activities. And the teachers look at me a little crazy and say, why are you doing picture games with my student? Why are you taking apart sounds on your arm with my student? And I'll say, do you want them to learn to read or not? Because this will teach them how to read because otherwise they're never going to connect the sounds to the letters because all of that is working to build the phonological awareness to eventually have sensible correspondence, the developmental stage. I am so happy with the instruction that you're able to provide your students. I have um, another cool scientific tidbit that I just heard this week, and um, that is that all brains um, we know have you know neuroplasticity and they're able to change and grow. And so for a long time, people thought that um, you know. If you had dyslexia, your brain was always going to be dyslexic, which is true. But um, no matter who you are, if you are a struggling reader, if you have a label of dyslexia or or whatever it is, you um, have plasticity in your brain even if you're 90 years old. And you can be taught using high-quality instruction for 100 hours. And there are functional MRIs now that show how brains have changed to become more efficient readers with effective instruction. Um, And for children, it's about 100 hours. With adults, they say that it may be a little bit more, but um, all people's brains can change with effective instruction. That's hopeful because when I first started teaching, there was sort of an old wives' tale that said you can't learn to read after third grade. Correct. And that's not necessarily true. It is difficult. And it is more difficult the older you are because it's harder for you to manipulate sounds that you have miscued in your brain for such a long mm-hmm. time. You have to rewire all that. And you really, right. that's why with those older students, I go back to the pictures and I go back to just playing with the sounds orally because they need to train their ears before they can train their eyes and their other reading skills. That That is absolutely 100% correct. So yes, that is true. And teachers, go back to the basics. So we've talked uh, for 26 minutes about short vowels. So <laughs> I think we need to come to a close. Uh, there's a lot in the show notes if you want more information about this. So to sum up, we're going to say there's a reason why the short vowels are short. Students can and should be taught the when and why of closed syllables as the part of your reading and phonics program. No matter what level or age the students have taught, all the way from first grade on, I have taught them the closed syllable rule because I want them to see that there's a reason why it says a short vowel. It's not just because I told you the first set of words we learn, you're going to say these sounds. I feel like they can handle, I've seen that they can handle the framework of understanding why the sounds do a certain thing. I definitely agree. So keep up the good work. Yes, and also in the show notes, we're going to link to, there's some really good 
YouTube clips that I've used with my students. Um, there's some um, by Nessie, which is from England, and they're really good about producing the sounds just perfectly like the Queen, <laughs> um, and Alpha Blocks and some other things. So look for those resources. Thank you for listening to the Reading Teachers Lounge podcast. We would like to thank Jordan Kempker for providing the original music. If you could please write us a review on iTunes, that will help more teachers find us. Also, if you find our information valuable, please tell fellow teacher or parent to come check us out at our webpage, www.readingteacherslounge.com.